0: Yehudi Geber with another Jewish History tidbit. We're going to explore a little bit about some interesting sides to one of the most beloved teachers of Torah of the pre-war uh, Lithuanian yeshiva world, Reb Shimin Shkop. Reb Shimin Shkop was a tremendous and beloved uh, Rebbe teacher of Torah in various different institutions and frameworks. We're going to try to see some of the Lesser well known parts of uh, his career. He's someone who taught Torah for, taught Torah in a regular basis. I'm talking about giving a daily shear, someone who was actively involved in teaching Talmudim for uh, almost 60 years. I, I find it hard to find anyone else who can even match that. Um, someone who literally gave his life from when he was about 20 years old and he died at about 80, about an approximation on his uh, beginning and end of his career. And he starts off before that as a student in Valojin, in the Valojin Yeshiva, like everyone else uh, who became famous in those days. And he's a prize Talmud in Valojin, Talmud of the Nitziv. Um, he was somewhat a student of Reb Chaim, but not really. He was basically Reb Chaim Brisker's age. And he attended his shiurim for several months. Reb Chaim Brisker started giving. He wasn't Reb Chaim Brisker, obviously, then yet he was a Rebbe, a young Rebbe in Valajan. His father was the Rov in Brisk. But uh, Reb Chaim Brisker at the time was still Reb Chaim He was married to the daughter of Rebbe Foul Shapiro, who was married to the daughter of the Netziv, who obviously was the Rosh Hashiva Valazhin. The Netziv was the head, the titular head of the Valashin Yeshiva for 45 out of its 90 years of its existence. And uh, he, Reb Chaim Brisker, becomes a rabbi at quite a young age. He's the Rosh Hashiva's granddaughter by marriage. And uh, he starts giving the most popular shir out there. Uh, Reb Shimon Shkup was friends with Reb Chaim, and he did attend his shiurim for a little bit. It was definitely influenced by Reb Chaim's way and style of learning, um, although he complete, that wasn't completely a Talmud of his in the full sense of the word. In any case, in about the year 1884, he is called upon by his uncle, Reb Lezer Gordon, the Rav and Rosh Yeshiva of Tells. He had arrived there three years earlier in 1881. And to become a Maggit in the Yeshiva, he's hired as the young and new and popular Rebbe, giving a Shir in the Tells Yeshiva, which is a burgeoning and growing and booming place. And Rav and Shkup becomes one of the popular attractions. He remains there for 19 years. It's actually one of the longest stints, or if not the longest stint that he had in his teaching career, was in in um uh in tells at this time some of his main talmidim came from this early period in tells including famously the Ponevezhrov or base of who learned in tells at the time as well as many others who were there during uh, this this period of time um he eventually moves on he in, in the year 1903 which is 19 years later he moves on to become the Rav, and also to reopen the yeshiva in a city called Malch. Malch had a yeshiva beforehand. It was led by Rabzalman Sender Kahana Shapiro, um, who had moved on to, to Krinik, uh, another, another town nearby. And uh, Reb Zalman Sender had trouble with the yeshiva. He had founded it in 1898, and called it Eitz after his own alma mater, the Eitz Chaim of Valozhen. Reb Sender, Khan Shapiro, was not only a student of Valozhen, he was actually a descendant of Reb Chaim Valozhener through Reb Chaim daughter, Relka. The Salavachiks were also descendants of Reb Chaim daughter, Relka, through another marriage. So this one daughter, Relka, was actually the the uh, matriarch of two branches of Reb Chaim Velazhina's descendants, both the Soloveitchik family and the Kahana Shapiro family in the two marriages that she had. And um, the yeshiva that Reb Zalman Sander, Kahana Shapiro, founded in Malch in 1898 was named after the Velazhina yeshiva, which had just closed down six years earlier. So he wanted to name it after it and it didn't work out. There was some sort of revolt from the students, and there was issues with Haskol, there was issues with secular studies, there was issues from the student body, there was Zionism, there was, there was all kinds of things going on. It's actually not 100% clear what went on, but Reb Zalman Sender Kahana Shapiro left. Reb Shemenshkab comes and restarts the yeshiva. He's there for four years, until the yeshiva again uh, doesn't work out, falls apart, also, again, a mix and a combination of different reasons, some more practical, financial, and stuff like that. But he succeeds within those few years of also producing some pretty big Talmudim. One of the famous ones was Reb Esri Yehuda Unterman, who was the chief rabbi of uh, Israel um, uh, in the 1960s, if I'm not mistaken. And um, he moves on to become the Rav in Bryansk which is not far from there. Uh, Reb becomes there, and he has the yeshiva there as well. He opens the yeshiva in Bryansk. And that yeshiva lasts till World War I. So World War I, like most other yeshivas of the time, they go into exile. Uh, and in exile, like most other yeshivas at the time, they fall apart. Very few yeshivas stayed together. Even the yeshivas that uh, managed to stay together, but they were a shadow of what they formerly were, like the Mir Yeshiva, was over 300 students before World War I, and during the World War I years, they dropped to about 80 students. So you're talking about a very drastic drop, even for the successful yeshivas that managed to stay together, but most of them closed down entirely, including Bryansk. So Reb Shimon comes back at the end of World War I, and he's kind of out of a position. In the meantime, something else very interesting happened. One of the most rare cases in Jewish history, we have a yeshiva that is founded by Bacharim. Not founded by Balabatim, not founded by a rabbi, not founded by a Rosh yeshiva. It is founded by students. They come together and they found their own Yeshiva. They founded it in during the World War I. These are students who were in exile from other Yeshivas with nowhere to go, with nowhere to learn. And they were stuck in the city of Grodna. And they decided to get together in one of the Batei Medrash in the city. And they found the Yeshiva. And they start looking around and hiring Arash a Yeshiva and staff, Mashgiach, Rabbeim, and it's the Bachrim who are really in charge of running this Yeshiva. Very interesting situation and scenario. And uh, one of the altar of Slobatka's sons, Rabbi Ram Shmuel Finkel, was involved in the early stages. The altar of Novartik's son-in-law, the Stuchina Rov, Rabbi Alter Levitz, who was the father of Rabbi Levitz, was involved for a period of time before he left, and they kept on trying out different ones. At this time, Reb Chaim Weiser had already founded the Varha yeshivas which oversaw the activity of all the Lithuanian yeshivas in the area. And he felt responsible for this new yeshiva founded by the Bachrim in Grodna. They, by the way, called this yeshiva in Grodna "Shar ha And um, it was the yeshiva in Grudna They were looking for a Russian yeshiva. Reb Chaim Ezer suggests this shidduch between the Bachrim and Reb Shimon. Reb Shimon was coming back. He was one of the senior and most respected Rashi Yeshiva in the entire world at the time. He was without a job. The Bacharim needed a good Rosh Yeshiva. Rav Shimon was someone that they would respect. He also um, had experience dealing with uh, independent minded Bacharim who obviously these uh, Bacharim were if they founded their own Yeshiva. And therefore he felt it would be a good match. Rav Shimon takes it on but he's older at this time. He also takes on a rabbinical position in one of the suburbs of Grodno. So he's not completely dedicated to the yeshiva. It's not his own yeshiva. He has this rabbinical position also. He's also older. And he has a very strong connection as far as learning and teaching is concerned, but he's not completely involved in the day-to-day running of the yeshiva. He's also writing his farm at this time. He eventually puts out the Shariyesha, which is a story in itself, how it came to be written. And um, he's, he has his son-in-law, Shagafaivel Hindis, Actually, be the active Rosh Yeshiva. He's running the Yeshiva day to day um, and hiring staff, taking care of it. He hires a Kelamer Mashgirach, a fellow by the name of Rabshlema Harkavi. Rabshlema Harkavi, as well as most of the Grudni Yeshiva and staff, were eventually killed by the Nazis. But that's a later part of the story. So, when the Grudni Yeshiva falls on hard financial times a few years later, in the late 1920s, Reb Shimon is called upon to fundraise for the yeshiva and make a trip to the United States. And this is a major turning point in his life. He goes to fundraise there, and while he's there, like many of the other visiting Rashi Yeshiva at the time, including Reb Baruch Ber and uh, Reb Eishon Epstein, and many other Rashi Yeshiva who visited America at the time, he gave a guest shir at the... the uh, popular yeshiva in New York City of Yeshiva Rabbeinu Yitzhak Elkhana. And at the time, they had a Rosh Yeshiva missing. Why? Reb Shlomo Poliachik, the Meitsheter Ilui, who was another Valazhiner student, had been the Rosh Yeshiva in Yeshiva Rabbeinu Yitzhak Elkhana, and he had died young quite suddenly, the year before, in 1928. Reb was Berlibowitz, who was, uh, who, who was involved uh, with with fundraising for the Kamenetz Yeshiva at the time, and it was in America, he had suggested to Reb Bernard, Dr. Revel, to hire his Reb Baruch Ber son, Reb Chaim Briskir's son, Reb Salovechik, to become the Rosh Yeshiva. He was at the time in Warsaw, involved with the Tachkamoni school, which is a story in itself, and he suggests that he should be hired as the Rosh Yeshiva of Rabbi Yitzhak Chana. Little problem was, is that this is after the Johnson Act is passed in the United States Congress, and it's hard to immigrate, and you need to get uh, a, a, a pass by the American embassy in Warsaw to be allowed to immigrate. And and uh, Ramesh Soloveitchik, sounds like a crazy quirk in history, but Ramesha Soloveitchik had an ingrown toenail, and the Department of Health staff who was in the American embassy in Warsaw did not allow him to immigrate until he took care of that with a surgery. So that was not going to be for a while. In the meantime, Reb Shimon Shkaps in America fundraising for grudna So Rabbi Revel, who was a Talmud of Reb Shimon back in Tells, asks Reb Shimon Shkup to give Shi'urim in Yeshivas Rabbeinu Yetz, Hak Elchanan. And Reb Shimon agrees. And he feels like he's really doing something. He's building Tyra in America. He's accomplishing, and he feels like this is something for his old age, and he decides to stay. And he's there for over a year as the acting Rosh Hashiva, in Yeshiva's Rebbeinah Yitzchakal Hanam. He's happy there, he's comfortable there, and he decides he's not coming back to Grudna. Well, back in Europe, they were not so happy about this. Mainly for the basic financial reason that Reb was supposed to be fundraising for Grudna, and Reb Chaim Weiser Grodzenski uh, was not happy that he was leaving his students behind, that he was leaving them without a teacher, without the figurehead, without the Rosh Hashiva, and without their financial support that he was supposed to be sending back. So Reb Chaim Ezer applies a lot of pressure to him to come back. And Reb Shimon is not giving in to the pressure. Reb Shimon was, was friends with Reb Chaim Ezer back in Valashen, also in Valajim. Reb Chaim Ezer enlists the help of the Chavetz Chaim, who writes to Reb Shimon to apply more pressure. There's even a fascinating letter printed in the letters of Rabbi Ruchem Levavitz, the Mir Mashkiach, who's much younger than Rebbe Shimon, and unlike the others, did not learn in uh, it was It's actually surprising that he even wrote to him, and you see the type of respect and the language that Rabbi Ruchem uses, he's very cautious, he's very careful how he writes. Of course, to where it's printed, it does not say that it's being addressed to Rebbe Shimon, but uh, it is. And he tells him a long list of reasons. Rabbi Rucham explains to him why he feels it's wrong for him to uh, to uh, stay in America. One of them is because he says that uh, it's America, and what type of students are you going to raise there? And they learn secular studies in this uh, yeshiva, so how could you stay there? And you should really come back to Europe and that will be much better for you. After all this pressure, Rabbi Shimon gives in. He, he caves into the pressure because everyone's simply driving him crazy. But he's not happy about it. He's not happy to leave. By this time, by the way, Rav Moshe had gotten the pass from the United States Embassy in Warsaw and he makes it to America so the problem of the Reshiva Rabbein Yitzhak El-Khan, was solved at the time as well and he becomes the Reshiva there till his passing in 1940. Rav Shimon comes back to Grodna and he's not so, not so excited about it. Um, he tells his Talmidim that he doesn't know if it was the right decision. Uh, the future of Teir is in America and in Eretz Yisrael, we should be investing in there. I don't know how much uh, we should be investing here in Europe, which was a, quite a shocking and surprising thing to hear from Reb Shkup, But he does remain in Grodno as the Rosh Yeshiva until his passing in the early days of World War One, and he is buried in Grudna. right after the Grodno Yeshiva escaped to Vilna, like all the other yeshivas at the beginning of the war. Reb Shimin. Was already too weak, too sick, too elderly, and several days later, he passes on alone in Grodno, um, and uh, and that's that's and that's, and that's his, that was his attempt to um, to move on to become the Rosh Hashiva in the United States, the unsuccessful attempt. But he does did remain there for a year, and that's that angle of the story. This was again Yehuda Geber for questions, comments, or tours. To visit the kever of people like Erbschimenkap and Gruden in Belarus and other countries, you can email me YGEBSS at gmail.com.